you think that something's missing. And then I can say to anybody out there who doesn't have a father, potentially, nothing's missing. You've got it. You've mm. already got it. And believe me, because I've now met that missing link, mm-hmm. but it will not anchor yourself. You yeah. have to find that yourself and you have the tools. Hi everyone, my name is Inherit George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard, and confronted. In today's episode, I am talking to actor and writer Jordan Waller. Jordan is best known for playing Lord Alfred Paget in the television series Victoria. However, he's written and starred in many of his own films. And just this February in 2019, he premiered his own one-man show, The Son of Dyke, at Vaults Festival, which is now in rehearsals to go off to Edinburgh Festival this very summer. Jordan, welcome to Daddy Issues, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I was actually introduced to Jordan through my boyfriend, and I initially just thought that his story was very interesting. But then I quickly learned that he was also doing this one-man show, which was originally called The D Word, and now has changed to The Son of Dyke. (laughs) So Jordan, please tell us, what was The D Word and is now The Son of Dyke? So The D Word is a autobiographical one-man show um, about the loss of my lesbian mother, Dawn, and a journey that I went on to hunt down my anonymous sperm donor father. When I first wrote the D word and showed it at the Vaults Festival, um, I had written a piece which was almost semi-fictionalized because I imagined after having lost my lesbian mother, who was incredibly dear to me, um, that I went on a fictionalized journey and ended up meeting a imaginary man Mm. that I had never actually met because I didn't think that it was possible up to that point. I applied for information about my sperm donor father when I was 18 and I was told that that wasn't available. And since I'd had to square my own sense of identity um, with that lack or that sort of hole in my life, like a lot of people do when they don't have a father. Then, after having shown this show, the craziest thing happened. I applied to something called the donor sibling link. It's all very administrative how yeah. these sperm donor things oh work. Oh God, this is really interesting. This little... it, I'll go into it more because yeah. it, it's a it's a little bit of a of a of a mind fuck if I can say that. Yeah, please throw away. <laughs> so I did this show, and then in order to effectively do a bit more soul searching afterwards to find more truth mm-hmm. um, about the story, my journey, and myself, I applied to this thing to meet my siblings. And I didn't hear back for a long time. Um, But then I got a call saying, I have two siblings, two sisters, um, but that also my father, sperm donor, had lifted his anonymity. Oh, wow. So I therefore had the chance of meeting him. 
And it was a piece of information that I received over the phone that sort of knocked me for six. It felt like I was underwater when I was receiving it. And in a way, it was sort of everything that I'd ever wanted to hear. Yeah. But it was only going through the whole thing that, to be honest with you, and we can go into this more, but I thought that I was always lacking by not having a father. But it was only when I met him that I realized that I was always whole all along. And what I really missed was my dead mother. And I still miss her terribly today. What made you, why did you, did you know that you had any siblings? Was that just you trying to sort of um, find something to do with this other person that you could find a connection with? I always knew that I would be able to apply to something called the sibling link. Oh, I see. Which is where um, children who are conceived via the same sperm Uh can meet up after the age of 18. I sort of put that off for a long time because after receiving the news that I couldn't meet my sperm donor father, I thought, well, actually, what's the point in getting an incomplete picture? Whereas that's the ultimate question I want to know. And I thought it was actually be more confusing. It was only after doing the show that I thought, you know what, it probably is time. I'm 26 now. And... I think it would be good just to explore myself a little further. And it might be interesting. And it might be good for the show as well, Yeah. speaking. What I ended up doing was, in the new version of the play, is I actually don't meet him at all. Not least because I'm still processing this information um, and meeting him as well. But I wanted just to protect myself a little bit. And yes. part of the journey I've been on is is actually thinking, well, why do I feel the need to be so unbelievably uh, vulnerable and exposing in the public? And that's a really interesting question because for a very long time, I think I overperformed my fatherlessness mm-hmm. growing up because, taking you right back to the start, yeah. how it happened is that my mum used a sperm donor from a clinic in order to, uh, in order to make me. Mm-hmm. And she was with her partner Dawn at the time. And I'd always known that I couldn't have a father or I didn't have a father I might be able to meet him when I was 18 but it was incredibly unlikely right so in order to cope with that fatherlessness I like you know the playwright Jean Genet I properly embodied that I said you know what this is who I am I'm a man without a father and that's okay and I'm strong without that and it really was a sort of magic trick that I would bring out in a sort of persona way at and school? At school, yeah, definitely. Initially, I found it very difficult. When I was sort of five years old, I got very bullied for having lesbian parents. Yeah. And, um, and also for not having a father. And I was very jealous. And I went back to my mum and I said, well, why have you brought me into the world in this way? And I cried and I cried and I cried. Um, but I was partly doing it just to sort of get at her. Yeah. What would she say to that? She would just be incredibly guilty. Yeah. And she was incredibly guilty for a very long time. And she did everything that she could to find substitute father figures. Right. Um, going around sort of auditioning different men that she knew sort of socially and professionally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I say that she sort of became like the lesbian Simon Cowell yeah. in a way. Um, but um, of course it didn't really work and it never really fitted. And this is the whole amazing thing for me about my journey is that it's only having now met this this man that I had projected to be a sort of godlike figure. And I feel sorry for the bloke in a way because when you don't have somebody um, and you've never met them, obviously, and you're told that you need them because we're told that we need one mother and one father and that's how we're made. I think that's how we're created. That's not how we're made. Yes. But you start to imagine what figure might fill that hole. 
And I think for a very long time, you know, I'd imagine the most uh, sort of flagrant of, uh, of, of things. Like, yeah. you know, he was a Nobel laureate or, you know, uh, you know I don't know, he was Roger Federer, Raoul Moat. Who <laughs> knows, really? I think at one point I even Raul imagined Moat. that he was a sort of Tyrannosaurus Rex, to be honest with you. <laughs> so when I meet this bloke in a pub um, in North London, you know, of course, poor guy, I'm going to be slightly disappointed. Yeah. But more than anything, what it showed me was that Actually, I don't really have an awful lot in common with him. Really? What's, I was going to see if you saw any similarities, well, if there was any... visually, I did see a few similarities, and I'm still trying to square the way I look, which I'm struggling with at the moment, to be honest with you, um, in him. What In what sense? Well, I've got... I, I didn't know where my nose came from because my mum had a nose job after a terrible accident. She wasn't, right. a, you know, she wasn't a plastic surgery buff. Um, and... Therefore, I now know that my nose comes from him. My cheeks come from him. I think I've got the same chin as him. Right. And these are things where I catch myself in the mirror every now and again, and I'll see him, and it makes me slightly sick because this is ultimately a stranger that I've met. And I've been so used not to having that. And actually, to be the only boy in my life, I'm surrounded by women. And yes. my God, I feel blessed to be surrounded by women because I do believe that women are just wonderful in every respect. The way they communicate is a way that I absolutely cherish and love. I think they're so much more verbal. I think they can be much more honest than a lot of men can mm -hmm. be. And not to criticize this man that I've met, who's my sperm donor, but he does not communicate in that same way, the way that I'm used to. And the language of emotions is something that's very unique to women. Yes. and something that's really important, um, I think, for men to learn about. And I think you can often you can often find a man like our wonderful sound <laughs> sound coordinator Warren. here who um who, who who have been raised by women and often the best men are raised by women yeah i'm thinking yeah. of you know one person who comes to mind is you know marcel proust for example a guy who's surrounded by women obviously a massive faggot as well but he was a brilliant <laughs> writer and it's a real it's a real brilliant thing for creativity in yes. a way whether it's the women I don't know, but I think actually fundamentally having a lack in your life, fatherlessness can be this wonderful um, springboard to creating something, whether that's because you want to sort of prove yourself to a father that you've yes. never known, could be, or whether it's that you feel different and because you feel different, you somehow don't fit in, you're on the margins looking in and that gives you a sort of clarity um, creatively Do you also that think other people might not have. Yeah. And do you also think it also could be this um, lack of a patriarchal system whereby there is some, there's more sort of suppression potentially in a household, whereas I don't know if it's more female, then perhaps that's not, those sort of systems are less in place. I think that's a really, really fascinating point. And mm. I couldn't say that I'm enlightened enough to know what a true patriarchy is because yeah, well, it just hasn't been like that <laughs> yeah. for me. But I can imagine that the rigid systems of, you know, if we compare it to despotism, then yes, there is less room to manoeuvre if you're mm. constantly sort of worshipping. Frankly, I think you can call it a god. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. exactly how we've structured religion yes. with this ultimate father and son and this is a relationship that we all venerate. I think, yes, I can imagine that there's less movement there. I just took a recording. It's okay. Are you off? Yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> it's a brother's girlfriend, not just like a one night Oh, I stand. see. Not a walk of shame. <laughs> that was wonderful. That would have been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that would have been so good.
Hi, um, hi. I do like a sneak out. But hang on, where were we? Going back to patriarchy. Patriarchy, yes. So yeah, maybe I'm being small-minded thinking that there's this kind of system because I also, like you, don't have the idea of some sort of patriarchal system. I was single-parented, whereas you had three mums, but also you mm. know two mums at a time. Your mother and Dawn yes. broke up when you were five. Five, yeah. yes, absolutely. Done my research. You're very good. <laughs> but my mum said that after my dad passed away, she had to play, it was very difficult for her to sort of understand how to play mother and father and balance that masculine and feminine energy. And so I think sometimes that would, I don't know, cause some sort of, you know, maybe more dominant effect than she intended with Mm. how she'd go about things because she was just guessing and thinking, God, how do I play both parents at once? Do you think that she overcompensated because you didn't have a father in some ways? Yes, I think that she definitely, she was very, very strict. And I think that was her, you know, with like uh, curfews. But my question for you is, do you think that you're, with your mums, one played a more masculine role and one played a more feminine role? So I think from your example, it's really interesting that there's no doubt that if we separate gender and sex, um, that a woman or a man can play both gender roles in some form. And we see very fierce matriarchs. I think what's interesting from your example, and I kind of identify myself or my mother's within it, is that when you are anxious that there's some sort of lack or a role that you're not playing and you feel like you have to occupy that, Mm. that stress and that over-performativity of that gender role I think can sometimes be slightly artificial and can be maybe something that we need to think about and change. Of course, discipline is important, but you must discipline in a way that feels natural to you as opposed to saying, gosh, I need to be this authoritarian patriarch figure, but I'm a woman, perhaps, and that doesn't feel right to me. Or I'm a man, and that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's this weird thing. I think what the problem, the big problem with fatherlessness for your sort of podcast world is that there are these societal stories and expectations of what a father should be and it feels so often and what a man should be it feels so often that we're all we're all failing at reaching those ideals we're all Mm -hmm. failing to to properly embody what society thinks a man is and sometimes what society thinks a woman is as well and i suppose that as we kind of explore identity politics as a as a race, what we're trying to get towards is a more authentic way of occupying our, our gender and our identity and our roles within society. Yes. And then to actually answer your question, my, um, <laughs> my mother's, I cannot definitively say whether one played a more masculine role uh, or a more feminine role than the other. I would say actually that they, they it feels much more like a blamange of gender. I've got absolutely yeah. no idea who is the man, who is the woman. There's definitely, there's different times and, and different sort of circumstances where I would approach one mother for something and another for something else. My yeah. biological mother, I think, was probably more consistent, but ultimately more confusing right. than Dawn, who I think I... I, I wanted almost the approval of because I was anxious that we didn't have anything connecting us. Yes. And I called my mum mum, so it was very easy 
to figure what she meant basically in other people's eyes if we accept that you know we are ultimately like Lacan said made in the eyes of others mum made sense because I could perform that to other people whereas with Dawn um, Dawn was just Dawn mm -hmm. and I think that there was an anxiety because Dawn also had her own biological child from a former relationship who's right. my sister I see and I think there was an anxiety that I wasn't necessarily um, going to be as consistently important to her even though she constantly told me that her love for me was unconditional and mm -hmm. she was very good to do that when they split there was obviously like all children who go through a sort of split mm -hmm. um, a massive anxiety and also playing off each other playing the two parents off I completely fell into that trap mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know there's no this, this, this is not a hagiography of lesbians. I mean, Christ, when they split up, <laughs> it is difficult. And I, I, I we, we, yeah, we fell into the classic traps of playing them off against each other. But um, I could not say that one was more masculine than the other. Yeah. My parents were not, you know, stereotypically, um, you know, butch lesbians necessarily. They had traits which were more masculine, more feminine. Yes, I, exactly. I didn't really play that 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 game actually it's quite interesting though that you say that um with dawn because there was no sort of with your mother it was your biological mother who you called mum, and with dawn you felt you know you needed to prove yourself slightly more because there was this less of a strong obvious connection and it's quite interesting reading stuff that i have done about fatherlessness and why it is that you know children male and female both feel this real the father, for some reason, the father figure is so prominent to someone's sort of identity shaping and their confidence and their self-worth. And a lot of it is, well, supposedly there's an argument that with your mother, you, your biological mother, you know that she loves you. There's this real security. I mean, obviously, this is a generalization. Not all mothers were meant to be mothers. I think it's, fa I think it's fascinating. But, You're right. Though. Yeah. And with a the father, there is this disconnect or whatever that be, whoever the other person in the relationship is. So there's this needing to prove your worth to them and needing to be good enough for them. And you're completely right. The, 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 the big difference with Dawn was that I was dealing not with a stereotypically kind of cold or absent or distant figure who could only connect to me through sort of, you know, ball sports, mm. but actually somebody who was incredibly emotional. I mean, Dawn was my kind of almost like a philosophy uh, teacher to me, the... She, she she taught me about emotions and all of her language and all of her communication were about mm -hmm. relationships and and the language of love and all of those things. So I think God, actually useful when you, it was yeah. useful, but you're right in a weird way. Maybe it did make me perform to that kind of feminine side of myself even more because that was how I gained approval from her. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about that before. And it's a very interesting way of putting it, I have mm. to say, because I've always just been focused on, you know, oh, am I trying to get, you know, uh, God in the sky, absent father figures approval. Well, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it was maybe it was Dawn's to an extent. <laughs> Bless you, Warren. <laughs> um, but also, so going back to when you said that when you met your father, yeah, you then realised you'd actually been whole. Mm. And when you were growing up, what was it that you felt towards this idea of your father that at the time you thought you'd probably never meet? What what did you mean by you then realized you were whole how did you feel about yourself before and your identity so initially growing up with two mothers and no um no father figure i was absolutely fine because before i went to school that was completely normal and actually the main thing to get across about 
any sort of alternative or same-sex setup is it's so fucking boring. I mean, it's just the (laughs) same. It's dull cornflakes. Yes, maybe we drank soy milk instead of whole milk. But ultimately, (laughs) you know, aside from the odd chickpea, we were very, very banal. Um, Is anyone I went to school that I probably recognized that I was in some way different um, because all the other kids seem to have these, you know, these, 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 these football friends uh, that I, I didn't have. I just had, you know, butch women with buzz cuts who would take me to sports on the weekend. But I didn't get that. So initially it was a cause of resentment, mainly towards my biological mother. Right. Going back to her, um, why did you make me different? And from that she felt incredibly guilty. And it's actually a guilt that I harbour, even at five years old, I think, when I confronted her about this I could see how upset it made her but I wouldn't give up and I could see that I was trying to hurt her Mm. and um and did that come from school did that come from people's opinions at school it came from myself actually it came from noticing that I was different and it came from wanting to hurt my mum I think partly because she'd left dawn I think that was a really big difficulty for me I wanted to say well you know what it's bad enough that you've that you've made me in this weird way with you know a kind of turkey baster full of some anonymous jizz and now <laughs> that you've left you've le- that you and Dawn have broken up which is not her fault I mean they broke up because they didn't work yeah um, but I felt and I live with my mum so I was like well why you know why have you done, done this to me and I wanted to attack her and I knew that I was doing it at the time yeah. I'm still very guilty for that but yeah. I can forgive myself because I was confused when I was yeah. a kid and you were five and I was five. You were really God, young. I was an emotional five-year-old. I was, about to say, I was an emotionally astute five-year-old. Seriously articulate no, for a, a five-year-old. Yeah, no, I was a small. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's it. Lesbian parents. It's the language of the emotion. Yeah, exactly. That's all I had. So then, um, after that, uh, I basically just had to get on with it. I was bullied terribly at my first school. I had to leave my first school because my mum's new girlfriend. Um, unfortunately outed us um, at school. Nobody knew. Yes, I read that. Yeah. Nobody knew that um, I had lesbian parents when I first, uh, in my primary school, because there was a very serious risk that I could actually be taken, me and my sister, Dawn's biological daughter, could be taken away from our parents in some form oh my God. because they were leading a degenerate lifestyle. Dawn's ex-partner was a man, he was a psychopath, and he threatened effectively to to contact the authorities and say that they were living this sort of, you know, libidinous, licentious and prurient lifestyle that wasn't appropriate for kids. And back in the early mid 90s, that was a really genuine threat. Gosh, that's mental to think. Because you're, what, 27? I'm 27 now, yes. It wasn't even that long ago. And it wasn't that long ago. So we had this sort of slightly cloistered safety at home where we could be ourselves, but then outside. My mum also, I think, was a bit afraid of being out at work. Maybe she could lose her job. Mm-hmm. Now her worker, like, Christ, thank God she's a lesbian. Go and be LGBT representative in, in <laughs> yeah. Dubai, etc., etc. But um, at the time, it was cloistered. It was safe at home, but we had to be, you know, slightly protected outside. So um, I wasn't out at school about my lesbian mums. Were you told to not say anything by your mums? Yes, right. I was. How I did was. that feel at the time? Did you suddenly realise, why do, why do I have to keep this here? It felt... Because to you, it's normal. That's life. I think consciously it felt, um, it felt, it felt fine. It felt kind of fun. It felt like, yeah. you know, oh, no, this is my thing. Yeah. You know, I, it was a bit like how I kind of enjoyed telling people, not that I was a sperm donor baby, um, but that my dad was dead. Right. I said that my dad, I think when I was six years old I said that my dad was a sailor 
who got killed on a ship. And I would create these <laughs> mad narratives. This is probably yeah. why I'm a creative person, because I'm a liar. <laughs> and I think I just enjoyed, um, yeah, I enjoyed the sympathy that it would evoke. I enjoyed the fact that people would be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Your dad is, your dad is an Iraq war hero who had his <laughs> eyes blown up yeah. in a nuclear attack just on him. Yeah. Because he's really important. Or a spy who's been... <laughs> it's that kind of shit, exactly. <laughs> so lies, 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 lies. But I quite enjoyed that. And I didn't mind the lying thing, but maybe it did inform the essence of me, which is that kind of, you know, disparity between my authentic side and my inauthentic side. Hence, I'm an actor and a writer. What a twat. So, um, yes, <laughs> after having been bullied there, left that school. Mm -hmm. Then I went to secondary school. Now we're talking about the sort of early noughties and, you know, uh, you know, Ellen DeGeneres has just come out. Suddenly lesbian is in vogue and it's fine. I can be out there and it becomes quite a powerful tool. Oh, in a wow. way. So that really helped the sort of Ellen DeGeneres. Sorry, that was a glib. Um, yeah, because I actually, because I recently watched something that she did, but she spoke about how that was like some sort of huge, I didn't realise what massive sort of. Yeah, she was the first dyke out there. And yeah. it's, it's kind of great. And I mean, the thing is, is that uh, we really um, owe so much to the people who came out, basically. And yeah. It was just invaluable. And yeah. there's a real impact that, you know, I, there's no need Ellen DeGeneres is a, is a multi-multi-millionaire that she doesn't need any more smoke blown up her ass. but <laughs> it is an incredible thing she deserves it because she really did take a risk yeah um, and I think that I think it's incumbent upon uh, people yeah, she took a to huge take sort of career risk yeah. yeah a huge career risk and yeah. it was a genuine risk and I think you know what hats off to her give her as much money as she wants <laughs> yeah. I then could talk about it gay became this really cool and fun thing um, and I think around the time when I was 11 years old, I, I found the kind of the provocativeness and the uniqueness of um, lesbians and gays quite so fun that I, I kind of started to explore, you know, that side of myself mm. and not and being in a look, I don't know. I don't know whether gay is nature or nurture. I also don't care. I think that the framing of that nature-nurture debate about sexuality is a pernicious one because it seeks to find via human logic and teleology um, a reason to quash people's sexuality. Yeah. So we ask the question, is it nature, is it nurture? Because we want to present a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. And actually, we have to frame all considerations of what is an interesting question about what makes us. Yeah with that very, um, with, with circumspection about what is the politics surrounding that question. So ultimately, I don't give a shit whether it's nature or nurture. I will say, however, if we are free to discuss it, yeah. there's no doubt that there's a part of me where when I was growing up without a father, I was obsessed with penises because I didn't see a penis for ages. <laughs> and there were like, you know, it was just, God, I saw a lot of muff. I mean, my <laughs> Lord. It was Muff Central yeah. at my place, just walking around freely. They were like, they were like a flock of sheep. But with penises, I remember breaking into my, um, into my, into my, uh, into my sister's room to have a sneak peek of her, her boyfriend at the time who had this massive cock. Really? Yeah. I mean, Christ. Perfect. Especially for me. I mean, you know, if you imagine, if you just imagine looking up at a sort of elephant's trunk. Uh, How did you exactly manage to catch him when he was naked? Oh, because they were sort of, they were probably having sex. Or, well, I wouldn't, I, I didn't see my sister in flagrante, but I, I, I <laughs> you know, when he was getting changed in the morning, I would, I, I would just sort of break down the door and just catch a glimpse and then run back out and giggle to myself. 
Um, so there's no doubt that I had a um, I had an interest yes. in the male form um, that 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 could be in some way um, a contributing factor to uh, to my later proclivities. Yeah. I don't know, but there's another <laughs> side of it which was that the kind of the gay thing, like I was saying at school, was a really kind of it was a really powerful tool for me actually to become unique interesting charming funny provocative mm -hmm. bit of an outlier bit of a smart ass to be honest with you yeah um because it was it was a way that you know it, it's like now it's the it's the you know the politically correct world we live in as soon as i come out and say well, i'm gay with, i'm a gay sperm donor with lesbian parents well you know I, you know put me in a wheelchair and i fucking won haven't i i mean i i don't know why i'm not on the bbc why they haven't given me a bbc show i don't know i mean it's well, just ridiculous probably to, can't probably can't put continued. that in there. <laughs> <laughs> however it became a really useful tool to get out of bullying. Yes. And that meant that I was very open to exploring my own sexuality. And I played around with it a little bit thinking, well, with the other kids at school, like, yeah, you know what? What if I am gay? And that's yeah. fine. You know, other kids would be, this was a time when people, you know, people were still, people were still playing Pokemon cards and they would be calling each other gay in the playground. And I was like, you know what? Well, hang on. Well, think about that. What does that actually mean? Gay's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm gay. Yeah, I remember always when we were younger, with everything you'd say was, oh my gosh, you're so gay. You're so gay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which is so weird to think now. Like, what gay lord or like all all the time. Exactly. So did you did your did your school peers did they did would they call you gay even before you sort of like, I don't know, had some sort of idea of yourself? So at the primary school, um, there was obviously the leap was made between uh, that genius leap between having gay parents and being gay myself, and that was what I was accused of being. Yeah. Uh, because Mainly because of their moron parents, actually, to be totally honest with you. Yeah. You're not, you're, kids. Kids are kids, just parrots. Kids, exactly. Kids yeah. don't care. And it's so interesting, um, especially when you look at the awful shit that's going on in Birmingham at the, Birmingham at the moment. You know, these, these brave parents fighting for their, you know, for their kids' oh, rights yes. to innocence. It's such a load of bollocks because kids don't give a fuck. Yeah. It's the parents that use them as these narcissistic vessels yeah, to shoots. peddle their own ideological crap. And really, I've had enough of it. I've got absolutely yeah. no respect for what's going on up there at all. Mm. However, that's, <laughs> you know, that's another thing. Side note. That's a side note. That's a very political side note. Yeah. Sorry, I've lost my thought. I was so angry just then. No, 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 no. It's good. Passion. <laughs> but um, so thinking about your dad that mm. you've met, mm -hmm. how did, so your you got on this list. Yeah. You found out you had sis other sisters. Yes. And then what led you to your father? So it was a clerical error. Because also I emailed you just before. You had, yes. Literally just before. Which is why we're sort of delayed in doing this yeah, podcast. Exactly. Because I've been <laughs> processing it. So I can't actually yes. guarantee that anything I say is going to be cogent or particularly enlightening. Because at the moment I'm an absolute wreck about yeah. it. And I haven't quite uh, come to terms with it. And it's a long process, and it is always a long process, fatherlessness and fatherhood yes. and all of these things. What led me to him, I think, in a way, I don't quite know. I think once I knew that I could meet him, I knew I had to because I 
wouldn't willingly be ignorant for the whole of my life it would be hanging over me you just have to know if you if yeah. someone if someone says you know there's yeah yeah it's there's like, something in this box yeah i'm gonna it's fucking like having a it. sandwich on the train exactly and, and of course i'm there. gonna of course i'm gonna <laughs> of course <laughs> you're gonna of course i'm gonna eat this new york deli pastrami <laughs> and get it over the woman's lap next to me of course i am yeah, yeah. no so um uh i ended up writing him a letter and um, he texts back and we arranged to meet and we met um, in a pub and um, it was a strange thing. I didn't really recognize. Okay, now I'll go back actually. So initially what you what happens is that you get given from the sperm clinic or the sperm registry, you get given a name and an address uh-huh. and that's all I got. Right. Um, and obviously you google as much as possible i went on this mad googling rampage with my mum. yeah obviously we found a couple of candidates who were serial killers and rapists but then we managed to cross-check things and we cross-checked with company house and we managed to find the owner business and then we figured out it was him then we couldn't find a picture of him online and me and my mum were on this sort of you know it was like we were i don't know kind of you know on a space station we were we were on the phone to each other desperately googling trying to figure out um, who he was and we ended up finding a picture so the first thing I found was this was this sort of pixelated photo that was okay it was fine mm-hmm. uh, made me feel a bit weird um, didn't know what that meant uh, it was a corporate photo so I was like well you know I can't see the person it made me just want to know more and more and more and it right. kind of sent me on this sort of on this unwinding journey just to know to, that need to know him yeah um, in the interim period, I ended up meeting my two uh, my two sisters, and that was an amazing experience, actually. And it was an amazing experience because we both we, we we'd all been through the same thing, so yeah. we had a shared experience, and we really connected on that level. I didn't really find a lot in common with them necessarily yeah. um, on the surface of things. Obviously, we have different interests; they do slightly different things to me. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, but we could communicate, and we could communicate because we had being raised by women fundamentally um in in more or less a similar way and that was fascinating and it meant that we could connect then contrast that with meeting him in a pub so what was the time difference between meeting probably sisters and dad it all happened in about two weeks so it was really intense a lot um met the first sister uh you know day one then two weeks later ended up meeting him so you contrast that kind of connection and the um, communication that we were able to have uh, as siblings with meeting him, and he comes from a much more patriarchal world mm-hmm. where he is very much head of the family, and that's how he sees things. So the communication um, for me was different. Mm-hmm. Now you can obviously infer by what I'm saying is that I think my communication is better than his um, but actually that would be totally arrogant and I don't know it's a very different way of communicating right and that was um, that was that was I think initially tricky for me to navigate it's still difficult for me to navigate because I don't conceive of the world like he does in any way whatsoever I come from a world of you know mad uh, wonderful wicked lesbians where everything is up for play and there's no structures and and there's a lot of love there's a lot of communication he comes from a much more structured um, kind of conservative, normal yeah. uh, world that is very alien to me. So it's fascinating for me yeah. to enter into that, but also quite confusing to have to use that in order to anchor my identity within and to structure my own sense of self. Yes. And that's what I'm struggling with at the moment. So when you said that you felt, so now you've 
see, you've met your dad. Yeah. You had a conversation with him. Sperm had... donor, actually. So that's Sorry, one... yes. No, it's interesting, donor. though. Yeah. It's one, that's one big problem that has been with meeting him is that... It's calling um, him dad. No, no, not at all. I am completely strict. I say, no, it's sperm donor and sperm donor offspring. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. Not my dad. Yeah. And I'm not your son. Yeah. Obviously, he doesn't see it in the same way. Well, actually, maybe not obviously at all. I mean, he just does not see it in the same way. And that's a big difference of communication. So does he see you as his son? Basically, yes. Yeah. And that for me is a very strange thing because yeah. I, I know whose son I am. And that's yes. my mum's and daughters yeah. and my other mum. And that's it. And and they're my parents. Yeah. And for me, a parent is, um, you know, in the purest etymological sense, it's actually somebody who brings you forth. That's what it means in Latin. And it comes back to that beautiful point of, yes, we're created by two gametes or zygotes or whatever they are, but you're made by people. Yes. And that's how I feel. Not necessarily how everybody sees it. And that is the difficulty, I think, yeah. that can often come into any sense of fatherlessness is that you think that something's missing. And then I can say to anybody out there who doesn't have a father, potentially, nothing's missing. You've got it. You've mm. already got it. And believe me, because I've now met that missing link. And though I know that I might not be whole because I do have the whole of my dead mother, mm. I know that that is now part of me and I had everything and I have everything that I need. That is extraneous material that's interesting, intriguing, um, academic almost mm -hmm. but it will not anchor yourself you yeah. have to find that yourself and you have the tools yes I actually read something actually I've written it down here that you'd said in the Guardian and funny enough this was previous to you knowing you'd ever meet your sperm donor yes and it was actually I'd, I'd love to ask you about this because you then said in this article and I'd love to know if you've done this or if your mind's changed or not, mm. that you then would become a sperm donor yourself. Absolutely. And you said here, so it says, um, where is it? So to, about being a sperm donor yourself, the big thing I'll say, it's not, I'm not going to, so this is for your future children, hypothetically, yeah. if you become a sperm donor. I'm not going to complete you. I'm not what you need. You're getting what you need from the family who raised you and from what you're putting into your own life. I'm part of the jigsaw but I'm not the key. So, which is basically what you've just described. Absolutely. However, before you met your dad, and so this was even before you knew you would, did you think that he could be the key that, and then realized he wasn't? And has your um, want to give sperm, has that changed? Or no, that not at all. Absolutely not. No, no, no. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm totally pro it because I think that, um, I think that, you know, there's absolutely no reason that uh, people who can't have a baby shouldn't want to have a baby. I think we should all think about maybe parenting and, and population control a little bit more. But yep. uh, regardless, I think that um, I think that I, I think it would be an amazing gift to give anyone. And I think, quite frankly, I would be in a very good position to uh, give that gift because I've been through it myself. Yes. Um, in terms of the quote that you just read, and I must uh, give Joanna Moorhead, who wrote that article, the credit for that beautiful last image about the jigsaw and the key, because that <laughs> she was she was um, you know she she scooped together the uh, crap that poured out of my mouth and um, <laughs> molded that into a uh, sort of you know fecal beautiful. fecal poetry. <laughs> yeah. um, so it corroborates just what I've said, which is that 
I always knew the answer. I knew that yeah. I was always okay. It was then when the opportunity came, I had to question everything that I'd built up in my life. I yeah. had to question all of my, not only my persona, but also things that were actually very essential to me. And the essential things to me were the beautiful women who raised me. Yeah. And I had to question whether they had been enough and whether I was enough and whether I could just be made like this. And it was a very quick revolution and it's been very quick, but I know that what was said in that article fundamentally is right. And the yeah. and the view I think I had, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but I think it's I think it's a I think it's a more useful way, actually, a more utilitarian way of conceiving of identity. So yes, I've had to basically chuck that out of the window, but then bring it right back in and go full circle, I think, back to where I was in 2017 before realising that I could ever yes. possibly meet him. Because, like I said, having met him, it's not changed any part of myself. It's not filled me in. It's not completed me. It's confused me a yeah. hell of a lot. There's no doubt about that. But I have not... Uh, it will eventually make me into a better person when I... A better person. It'll eventually... It would eventually um, become a part of me. There's no doubt about that. But it won't actually make me into a better person. It won't improve me in any yeah. way necessarily. It's it's about how I respond to it now, and I'm gonna respond to it um, in that with that same philosophy I came into it with. Yeah. Uh, which is no, I'm 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 okay. I'm, yeah, I was yeah. always there. I'm I'm you know I am me, um, and this uh, this is a, an interesting part, but it's academic. The one beautiful conclusion from this journey on, of meeting him is that it hasn't actually he is a figure and you know god bless him he's really he's a really not you know he's a, he's a perfectly nice guy and he's a bloke you know um but unfortunately that's all he is he's just a bloke he's not he's not god um what <laughs> it's what what it's done is it's actually made me so grateful for my own mother yeah so grateful for my biological mother um for dawn for all of the wonderful women who yeah. um, made me into the man I am today, and that has been the learning A real from the gift. process. It's yeah. been an utter gift, and my relationship with my biological mum, the one who's left, has never been so strong. And I think, actually, in a way, it has taught me an awful lot of, you know, Buddhist mindful gratitude. And yeah. gratitude is something that we really lack in in our kind of, you know, anxiety whole torn ridden society we, we we forget to actually look around and see what we do have mm. as opposed to constantly chasing which might be the cause of all creativity yeah a father that will never be there because yeah. it's an impossible figure yeah and do you think for him who's calling you his son yes. how do you think because obviously he went into that process thinking that he would never have to or be revealed or found by any of his children and then he chose to but then he chose to yes, yes. which is very interesting yes and so just to flip it how I mean not that you can know because you're yes. on the other side but how do you think that must be for him to suddenly meet his son or his daughters the reason I have to be incredibly um, not forgiving but understanding and maybe accept the fact that I'm ignorant is that I haven't had kids yeah so I fundamentally do not understand the yet I plan to have a lot of kids yes but I fundamentally <laughs> do not understand that um that whether it's a biological yes, or the... not that 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 sense of that sense of these are my 
babies. Yes. I don't have that. So I can't say. For me, as a baby, yeah. I can say, no, 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 no. I know who my parents are. Yeah. So it's very difficult for me to um, to connect with him yeah. on that way. I can respect it from a distance. Yes. I'm cynical of it, there's no doubt. And I should probably learn to be less cynical of it. And, and why do you think you're cynical of it? What do you think that comes from? I think it's me probably... I think I can... I. Th- I think I'm cynical of it because I think I can often be very cynical of men in some respects. And one of the one of the things about not being brought into the world with lots of men is that they become quite alien in in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And it means that I maybe don't always trust their motivations. Um, or the way of communication. It's not mm-hmm. something that I understand. Yes. So it's very Can't easy. to it as easily. Exactly. Yeah. So it's very easy for me to say, mm, I don't really think you think of me as a son, but you think that because you've been told that that's how you should think. Right. It's an incredibly cynical way of being. And, yeah. I, and I'm aware of it. And I'm aware that I probably need to be a bit more empathetic. Mm-hmm. But it's a process and I'm learning and I'm yes. trying. Yeah, of course. And it's slow. Yeah. And with... Do you, is your dad, sorry, is your is your sperm donor? It's okay, don't worry. Is he going to stay, are you going to stay connected to him? Or how, how do you think your sort of future lies with that? Yeah, he's quite keen to, he's quite, he's he's much more keen to stay uh, connected. Um, not that I'm not, I don't want to stay connected, but I, I, I for me, I'm, I don't want to have a sort of, you know, I don't want Davina McCall knocking on my door with a pair of cameras and saying, oh, look, suddenly family's reunited, everyone have a cry and we yeah, can all get yeah. together. Davina McCall, I mean, <laughs> give me a break, love. It's not how it is. Because that's the horrible thing about these whole narratives. Is yeah. that I've, been to- I've been told by lots of people, oh my God, you got to meet him, you're so lucky. Well, no, because it's, it's the story doesn't end. The story of lives don't yeah, end. And yeah. it's all very well on a Channel 4 programme when Davina McCall... You know, is she pregnant again? I don't know. You know, she comes in and she says, oh, God, it's great. We've finally been able to solve all of your problems because we, you know, the story doesn't end after the cameras stop rolling. Yeah. You don't, you don't complete yourself. Yeah. You don't solve all of your problems. It's not how identity works. It's so much more confusing. It's so much longer. It's yeah. a process. You've got to work at it. Yeah. Totally. So that program, you can tell, pisses me the fuck off. Yeah. But, I actually bizarrely was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Davina McCall. Love her, love her. Yeah. She's been about, she's been 40 for about 30 years, hasn't she, Davina? <laughs> yeah, God she bless has. her. Um, but, so... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I think it's great. I think it's great. It's just an interesting uh, observation. <laughs> so how do you see your identity going forward? What has, what's been the biggest change other than the fact that you met your sperm egg donor? So the journey I've been on is not having a father. Now, obviously, um, consciously, I created this wonderful philosophy where I knew I was always whole, okay? But maybe I didn't quite believe it. So going on the journey and basically exploring that subconscious uh, lack or doubt that I had Mm -hmm. and actually achieving that to some extent, Mm -hmm. meeting him, I realized actually that the philosophy that I initially had was perhaps correct and I've started to embody that more yes and the thing that it's taught me is to be grateful for my mother be grateful for dawn be grateful for my upbringing uh, in its own unique way but actually feel that not just perform yeah. it for others but actually say you know what Christ thank God 
Yeah. You know, even though he doesn't exist. So um, <laughs> it's taken me on that kind of intellectual journey right back to effectively perhaps marrying heart and yes. head a little bit. Going forward, I think, what I can hope to do and I'll never achieve is maybe not worry so much about questioning myself yes. all the time. Yeah. And I do wonder whether fatherlessness is... Um, is I do wonder whether fatherlessness often means that you end up asking these taxing questions of your identity mm-hmm. at all points mm-hmm. of the day. And maybe the best thing to do is not to ignore it, but just to be kinder to yourself yeah. and actually just just live a yeah. little bit. For once, just let go of... And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm such a stereotype. I'm having a mid-twenties crisis, you know, and that's, that's I'm <laughs> great that that's all out of my way. And I'm looking forward, I'm hoping just to, just to do things, enjoy life, be grateful for what you have. Yeah. Mindfulness, all of the buzzwords aside. But Stoicism. Actually, yeah. You know, change what you can, you know, Exactly, change. and just do, you know, just do and create and, and, and know for me now that the foundations are there. I don't have to be... I don't have to build um, fake personas on 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 shaky on shaky um, building blocks, you know, because there's there's no lack at the heart of me. I'm grateful for what I have, and that is a very very solid base yes. on which I can now be. Yes. I can exist, and I can I can I can fully embody my existence. I hope, and that's until I'm thirty, at which point I'll be here yeah, exactly. having another having crisis. Completely, absolutely. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you the last question, which I ask everyone. If your sperm egg donor was listening to this episode right now, what would you want to say to him? If my sperm donor was listening to this podcast right now, I would say to him, thank you so much for wanking off into that cup because you have created me You've given me life and you've given the opportunity for three fantastic women to make me and you've produced in your own way um, a world of love and that's the extent of it and I'm really grateful for what you've given. Thank you very much Jordan Waller, that was wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Jordan Waller. I left Jordan's interview completely rewired to hear him suggest that as individuals, we are already whole, that we don't need this other person to complete us and that we already possess the tools we need to feel whole was completely and utterly enlightening. And honestly, it was a life-changing revelation for me and I hope for many of you listening. As always, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us via our website, www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com if any of Jordan's story resonated with you or if you just want to share any experiences of your own with Jordan, myself or each other. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Walkie Productions who did all my sound, for Aaron and Ben at Interface who did my website and graphic design and to Rory Ray Photography for taking the photograph. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify to stay tuned with new episodes and, of course, spread the Daddy Issues message. Have a lovely rest of your day and thank you once again for listening.